for those that weren't at Super Sunday last Sunday, which was for B&I, our first Sunday back post-sabbatical, um, you missed a cracking Sunday. Um, but we want to say again, um, it's amazing to be back. We've missed you hugely. We've had three months. We feel rested, rejuvenated, replenished, raring to go. We feel like we've woken up to joy, um, which is very different to happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It comes, it goes. Joy is a mindset. It's a posture. It's a way of seeing the world and having woken up to joy we now want to minister from this place of joy Um, this way of living in the light of what's to come with deep faith and expectancy and we want to invite people into joy Um, and so much of what's been said this morning it just feels like the spirit's almost gone ahead my my talk is basically just affirming what has already been said I want to speak about joy I want to speak about freedom I want to speak about liberation we're starting a series called The Sound of Redemption. Redemption has a sound. Um, and I'm going to do like a theological intro, a foundation. And then next Sunday and the following Sunday, they're going to be testimony-based Sundays. We've invited some amazing guest speakers who are going to come and share their stories of how they met Christ, how Christ transformed their life and welcomed them into a lifestyle of joy. Um, the next two Sundays are going to be brilliant Sundays to invite your friends. Um, but this morning, we're just going to lay a foundation I've got three simple points, don't worry, lots of sub-points. Um, but three main points, that redemption has a sound. Redemption has a sound. Like what Molly just said about those 44 boys when they found out that they were going home, they just started singing and dancing. Redemption has a sound. Secondly, redemption has a story. Thirdly, the sound is stirring right now. It's stirring across the worldwide church. We need to tune in. We need to join in. We need to become part of this dance. So firstly, redemption has a sound. Um, The sound is a response to redemption. Um, So if you want a great example of this, Exodus 15, um, where they have this unbelievable moment of God parting the waters, them walking through on dry land. And when they get to the other side after 400 years of slavery, what happens? They start singing. Miriam grabs a tambourine and they start celebrating. Redemption has a sound. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says to Mary, you're going to have a child. I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a child and this child is going to be the savior of the world. What does she do? She bursts into song, the Magnificat. She can't help herself. She starts singing. Redemption has a sound. Whenever there's an outbreak of the kingdom of God, you're going to hear singing. You're going to hear laughter. You're going to hear joy, whoops of joy. Um, What came to mind when, when Molly was speaking and when Karen was singing beautifully earlier, you, you could almost hear the sound that the season of famine's over, there's a season of feasting coming, is that freedom can happen in a moment, maturity takes a lifetime. And in the church, we, we often sort of like confuse the two. The, the, the liberation story in the Exodus narrative, it happens in a moment, they pass the waters and after 400 years they are free. Now, 40 years of maturity until they're ready to live in the land, inhabit the land. Freedom happens in a moment. Maturity takes a lifetime. It's going to take us a lifetime to become more like Jesus, right? We've got many years to practice, practice, practice as we become more and more like Jesus as the Spirit enables us. But freedom can happen in a moment. And when it happens, there is a sound. It's the sound of laughter. It's the sound of joy. It's the sound of freedom. 
Um, secondly, the sound is a herald of redemption. It's, it's a forerunner. You hear the sound before the title of salvation hits. So listen to this prophecy, Isaiah 54. The prophet says to the nation of Israel, Sing, barren woman. You that don't feel fruitful right now, sing. You who never bore a child, burst into song. This sounds crazy to say this. Deeply insensitive, unless you know what's coming. The tidal wave of salvation that's about to hit. You who are never in labor. Why? Because salvation's coming. Therefore, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. What's happening right now is the song is emerging. A sound of freedom is rising up, not just here at KXC, but in the worldwide church. It's a forerunner to what I believe is going to be a season of salvation, of many, many lost people finding Jesus and walking into joy. The joy is waiting for them. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 13, I want to look at a couple of texts that just remind us that whenever the kingdom breaks out, there is an outbreak of joy. This is all going to be about joy. Um, I heard a friend of mine teach through some of the parables of of Matthew. And I've I've studied Matthew a chunk. I've taught from Matthew quite a few times at KXC over the last 10 years. But he shared something I'd never heard before. And I thought, that's fun. I've got to share it. A a little nugget. that I thought, well, I'm going to share that when I get back. Um, So here it is. Um, Just nerd with me for a moment. That Matthew's gospel has a chiastic structure. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Matthew's gospel has a chiastic structure. Now, for those that have studied English literature and poets and some of the great writers of history, you might be familiar with chiastic structures. It's a way of ordering your content to sort of like accentuate what's in the middle. So a poem might have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then move backwards in reverse, F, E, D, C, A, B. Right at the middle, G stands out. That's the center of the poem or the piece of prose or whatever. So Matthew structures his gospel like this to accentuate the center. So let me just highlight it. Matthew 1, which is the genealogy of Jesus, is an unbelievably boring read because it's just a list of names of he begat that person, begat that person. Um, but, it, but Matthew's trying to lay out the ancestry of Jesus. Um, and remember, it's a patriarchal society, so you're expecting a list of um, men um, and their names. And then suddenly in the middle of Matthew 1, you've got four women that are named in the genealogy, and Cass really excited by that. Um, so you've got Rahab, a prostitute, Tamar, a prostitute, Ruth, a Moabite, um, and Bathsheba, an adulterer. And so you're, you're reading through this genealogy, and Matthew's trying to say that these are the credentials of Jesus the Messiah, and in his ancestral line, not only are there women, but there's prostitutes, adulterers, um, and the list goes on, and you're like, no way. Like Matthew starts by saying, this is a story of the kingdom in which broken people find healing and those that are considered normally on the outside, they're welcomed right into the center. That's just Matthew getting going. Like he's just warming up saying this story is unbelievable. The outsiders are coming in. How does he end Matthew's gospel? Um, The Great Commission, the insiders are sent out. Where to? To the Gentiles, to the broken, to the hurting in society. It begins, the outsiders are drawn in and then they're catapulted out. You've got to take this message, this sound of redemption to the nations. It keeps going. Matthew 2, Jesus is born as a refugee. Um, You know the story of Herod trying to kill this baby born king of the Jews. So Mary and Joseph escaped to Egypt. Um, The mirror side, Matthew 27, Jesus dies outside the city walls, outside Jerusalem. He dies, essentially, 
as a refugee. Keep going, Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan, baptized, immersed in water. Matthew 26, he's immersed, baptized in suffering. It's the story of his death. Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness um, three times. The mirror side of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is tempted in Gethsemane, just before the cross, where he says three times, Father, is it possible that you could take this cup of suffering from me? Like, this is so intense. Is there any other way? Yet not my will be done, but yours. The point Matthew's doing, he's building, building, building towards the center. So what's at the center of Matthew's gospel? I can sense excitement in the room. Not really. Um, I'm excited though. At the center of the gospel are the parables. That, that is the heart of Matthew's gospel. It's these stories, explosive stories, that explain what the kingdom of God is like. Um, don't think of parables as abstract stories that contain a moral truth that you say to your kids and it helps them be good boys and girls. Those are fairy tales. they're, They're not parables. Parables are stories in which Jesus explains what he's doing in his life and ministry. So if you read through Matthew's gospel, you're swept into this story where all the outsiders are coming in and a party's emerging. The Pharisees um, and the disciples of John the Baptist, they're fasting because they're longing for the kingdom of God to break in. um, And they're in a really serious mode. And the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the adulterers, all of these guys are, are swarming around Jesus and they're partying while everyone else is mourning. Um, So Jesus tells some stories to explain what's actually going on. So let's read Matthew 13, really short parable. Um, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Context. Um, They didn't have banks as we have banks in the ancient world. So if you had a fortune you wanted to hide or invest the fortune, um, you'd bury a hole in the ground and you'd hide it. You remember the parable of the talents? That's what one of them does, just buries a hole in the ground to sort of to keep it, to hide it. That's what you'd do if you wanted to hide your money. And in this story, someone's done that. They have a fortune. They bury it in the ground to keep it for the right time. Now, we don't know what happens, but potentially decades, maybe centuries later, someone's walking through the field, and, and they, however they do it, they come across this fortune. What do they do? Well, the parable tells us, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, like celebration, that's the sound of redemption. He went and sold everything he had and he bought that field. Because if he owned the field, he owned the fortune. So, so what happens when he finds the fortune? He starts celebrating. He can't help himself. Oh my goodness, I've stumbled across an inheritance. My life will never be the same again. Jesus explained that's what's happening with these tax collectors and adulterers and prostitutes and these people that are normally on the outside, they've stumbled across an inheritance. Their life will never be the same again. Can you hear the sound of redemption? Those 44 boys singing and dancing because they're going home. Can you hear the sound? That's what Jesus is saying. Can you hear the sound? Um, Verse 45, he just fires off another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold it everything just to have that one priceless pearl like celebration joy that is the sound of redemption this is what one commentator said he said anyone who counts the cost of discipleship has completely failed to grasp the greatness of the reward like we talk sometimes about the cost of discipleship jesus saying you know you've got to deny yourself take up your cross and and follow me and absolutely there is a cost of discipleship but we need to remember that the reward is unbelievable The reward is eternal joy. Here's another example then. 
Mark 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, the goodies, um, but sinners. Now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, And the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, how come they're fasting, but you guys are whining, dining, knocking back the wine, you're feasting. We're in a season of famine, you're feasting. What the heck is going on? That's a paraphrase of the text, obviously. Um, And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. On that day, they will fast. I don't know if you've read that before and thought, say what? What? What are you talking about? What on earth is going on? Let me explain it. So we've said redemption has a sound. Redemption has a story. The story has a structure. Um, That's what the structure looks like. I know you love it. Um, A number of people have been saying that they enjoy the visual aid, but the visual aid isn't enough. They need something more than just a visual aid, just to sort of help. Um, Here we go. Did you sense the spirit in the room? The spirit came just then, right? Um, If you weren't here last week, that will make no sense to you, but someone made that track. It had me in hysterics. I've been playing it all week. Um, We're going to start using it in worship. We will. We will release it as a KXC single on the next album as well. Um, So that's the structure. Essentially, the the story of redemption beginning to end is creation, created order, unraveling through sin, and then Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, restoring all things to how they were meant to be, right? Um, But in the, the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, You've got four metaphors that they use to essentially tell the same story. We're going to fly through them. Um, Number one, God as husband. Um, So this is the story at Sinai. um, As Moses leads the people out of slavery, he then ascends this mountain and Israel enter into covenant relationship with God. And God says, I will be your God and you will be my treasured possession. In other words, we're going to enter into a covenant relationship. We're going to get married. Israel becomes the bride of God. But if you know the rest of the story of the Old Testament, Testament, Israel turn away from God and start pursuing other lovers, the idols of the surrounding nations. And you have a brutal text like Jeremiah chapter 3 and there's other texts in the prophets that name this. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up on every high hill, high places were places of worship, um, and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. In other words, worshipped other gods. I liberated her. We entered into a covenant relationship, but she's gone off to other centers of worship and given herself to these others. I thought that after she had done this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. Listen to these words. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away. Can you hear the heartbreak in the heart of God? This wasn't God's choice. This wasn't God saying, I'm going to punish you because of that. It's like, you've rejected me. You want nothing to do with me. If you want divorce, if you want separation, it breaks my heart. But but if that's what you want, I will not stand in your way. So you've got this low point that the prophets are talking about divorce and separation. Yet in the middle of that low point, the prophets begin to speak about hope and restoration. That one day God would come and he'd marry Israel again. Even though Israel had been faithless, 
um, Yahweh God would be faithful. God says this through the prophet Hosea. In that day, in other words, when the kingdom breaks in, um, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth, a very old word, marry you. I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Um, In other words, a time is going to come when God will come and marry Israel again and there'll be an outbreak of joy. This is what the Jewish people were longing for in the first century, right? For God to rock up and be a husband to them. Now, this was almost quoted earlier um, about the the famine becoming a season of joy. This is Zechariah chapter 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the fasts of the 4th, 5th, 7th and 10th months. Those fasts were observed by the people in Babylon when they're away from home as a way of like stirring up a yearning for the inbreaking of the kingdom. We long for God to come and as a husband to restore our fortune so we can experience joy. So every time they would fast, it would stir up the longing for God to break in and the kingdom to break in. Um, but Zechariah prophesies there'll be a moment when those four fasts will become... Glad occasions, happy festivals for Judah, therefore love, truth and peace. In other words, joy is going to break in. So when Jesus basically uses this cryptic language of saying like, my disciples aren't fasting because the bridegroom is here. He's basically saying, you know, everything you're longing for, like God coming to marry you, to lead you a place of intimacy where you can flourish in every way possible. That's happening right now. Like stop fasting this is a time to feast and there is an outbreak of joy whenever the kingdom breaks in there's an outbreak of joy very quickly um second metaphor god our shepherd um so listen to this story luke 15 the tax collectors they're all gathering partying around jesus the pharisees are freaking out jesus is hanging out with the wrong people so jesus tells another story to explain what's happening, right? He says this, verse 14. Suppose any one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Don't you think that's what, you know, the lawyers that we were hearing about earlier working for IGM, that they're going after the one, the ones and twos that are trapped and they won't stop, won't stop. Whatever the danger, won't stop until they find them. Something of the heart of God in that. Um, <clears throat> Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, there's an outbreak of joy. Very good. It'll always be joy. The answer's always going to be joy. So let's, let's all join him. And he puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the story is, in the Old Testament, God is their shepherd. That's why Psalm 23, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd. But then language that describes decreation, the brokenness, um, would be that Israel have become like sheep without a shepherd. Like they're wandering, they're lost, they get scattered. Um, And then there's these prophecies that that God will come, we've mentioned as a husband, but another prophecy that he's going to come as a shepherd. Because the leaders of the nation of Israel, um, the religious leaders have neglected and abused the sheep. So God, and it's a fairly angry rant in Ezekiel 34, but it, it hits this climactic moment as God says this, I myself will search for my sheep, because you haven't. You've neglected them. So I'm going to search for my sheep. I'm going to look after them. I will search for the lost, bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, the sleek and the strong I will destroy. In other words, the oppressors. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So when Jesus tells the story of going after the lost sheep, he's basically saying, you know, you're waiting for God to come and shepherd you. Yeah, that is me. And when the shepherd comes, there'll be an outbreak of joy. 
Like in John's Gospel, I think it's John chapter 10, Jesus makes it really clear. He says, I am the good shepherd. Like what good shepherd? The good shepherd from Ezekiel 34. I've come to lead you back to a place where you can flourish. There will be an outbreak of joy. God is Father. The, at Sinai, again, God basically says, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to be a father. You are going to be my son. But we know the story, Israel walk away from God. They become orphaned. They end up in a far off land. Their deep longing is kind of named time and time again in, in the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. Their deep longing is for God to come and father them once more. Adopt them so they can be part of his family and share in his inheritance. So when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, the lost son that rejects dad, essentially says, screw you dad, I'm going my own way, ends up in a far off country and then is desperate to get home. And the climactic moment in that story is the father running to the son, welcoming home the son, saying, like, my son was dead, he's, he's alive again, so let's get the fattened calf, let's have a party. There's an outbreak of? Yeah. Always the same, always be joy. Outbreak of joy, because when there's an outbreak of the kingdom, there will always be an outbreak of joy, right? So when this story is fulfilled, joy. When the wedding story is fulfilled, joy. When the shepherd narrative is fulfilled, joy. One more, very quick. Um, God is king. Old Testament, God reigns over the nation of Israel. But there's a brutal moment where basically the nations say, we don't want you to be our king. All the other nations have earthly kings. We've got a heavenly king, but we want an earthly one. In other words, we reject you. And God says, well, that really, really hurts. But if that's what you want, I've given you free will. You can choose that. It says, here's a king, Saul. And then David. And then King Solomon. And then a list of mainly really dodgy kings. And they end up totally, totally lost. And when they're lost, there's a deep yearning. We want God. We want you to be our king. That's when we were flourishing. That's when we were alive. Could you come and reign over us? And Jesus arrives, essentially naming himself as the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of all kings. What happened? happens when Jesus comes and the kingdom of God breaks out there's an outbreak of joy joy. outbreak of joy Um, all of this is about joy it's all about joy final passage then Isaiah 61 and again what was sung earlier the interview earlier Isaiah 61, it has to be one of the key verses for IGM as a movement, right? Which is about justice and liberation. Let me just read it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is what Jesus quotes as he begins his ministry. And I believe that we're entering um, a season where the spirit is being poured out in greater measure. I really believe that. In in my gut, I believe that. This is what happens when the spirit is poured out in greater measure. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jubilees. Basically means party time, which is what is happening all through the Gospels, right? Joy, party, celebration, high fives, drinking. Jesus is accused of being a drunkard, right? Because he's partying all the time. He's feasting. Others are fasting. He's feasting. Um, and this is what happens. It says, it will be the year of the Lord's favour, day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion. Esther was prophesying about this earlier. There's some that you can hear the sounds of joy, but you're still caught up in grief. You're still hurting. Well, listen to the promise here. God will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This, this can happen in a moment, right? The oil of joy instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. What will happen to these people that are transformed from this posture of 
mourning and grief, um, slavery into this picture of freedom and dancing and praise, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Like, Look at the big global cities of our time. So many of them just freaking out right now. Like, just don't know what's happening. And there's a promise here. That, do you know who's going to rebuild those ancient ruins? Who's going to bring cultural renewal to these cities? It's the broken. It's those currently in prison. Those who are in darkness. But salvation's coming. You can hear the sound. Salvation's coming. And when they taste freedom, there will be an outbreak of joy. And joy will be like strength. As Nehemiah actually rebuilt the ruins of Jerusalem, he said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. How can we build these ruins? Because joy is giving us strength. The sound is stirring in the church right now. Um, So many prophecies that we've received, and we've heard it on the lips of different prophetic figures, is that the next move of the Spirit, the next revival, if you like, is going to be led by leaders that are currently in prison. It's going to be led by leaders that are currently in gangs. Um, Romans 8 says that all of creation is yearning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. I would just twist that slightly and say all of culture right now is yearning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed because they carry freedom. Um, We've seen it because we've heard the stories of what God is doing in Pentonville Prison, what he's doing on some of the estates around King's Cross. People are tasting Jesus, experiencing freedom, and joy is stirring up. I believe it's just first fruits. It's just the beginning and more and more of it will begin to take place. There's a sound of joy. Can you hear it? There's a sound of joy. Can you hear it? And I honestly believe that, that people like B and I and others will need to get out of the way because these are the people that are going to carry it and, and going to carry fire and take that fire to the nations. They're going to bring renewal to culture and renewal to the cities. I want to be a part of it, obviously. I'm not going to get that much out of the way. <laughs> That's it. I'll be a part of it. Don't worry. Um, So redemption has a sound, redemption has a story. The sound is stirring. The sound is stirring right now. I told this story last week, but I want to play a little clip. When I went to the Hebrides, part of sabbatical, I went to some of the sites of recent revivals. And I heard the stories, and and I I can preach on it another time, but pretty much consistently, wherever the Spirit has broken out and there's been a revival, there's been an outbreak of joy. I went to the site just outside Swansea where the 1904 Wales revival kicked out. Joy. The Hebrides, when you hear the stories, 1949 to 1955, joy. Azusa Street um, in LA, joy. Um, Toronto, Anaheim Vineyard, where we parked ourselves. There was an outbreak of joy in the 80s. It's one of the characteristics of a move of God. So I interviewed this guy who came to faith in the revival. He's now in his 90s. This is a really bad recording because I literally put my phone at his feet and said, do you mind if I just record this interview so we had coffee two hours this is a two minute clip but I want you to listen to someone who's telling a story of something that happened 70 years previously and yet what happened will be with him forever listen to this as children we were affected by the sort of atmosphere that was around here at yeah. that time revival atmosphere is a thing that you cannot contain inside a church. Yeah. Doesn't the, God doesn't look at bricks and mortar. Yeah. And the walls of a church don't doesn't contain a revival. Yeah. A revival touches everyone. Now 
as the revival went on, the numbers growing, buses, the kind of buses that were here at that time, they were uh, 20 to 25 seater buses. Yeah. And uh, some buses were laid on for beating school from this village to yeah. other villages, even to other districts throughout the island. And uh, you never knew exactly where a bus was going. Was it going to a meeting or <laughs> to whatever else? Yeah. And uh, all the way you would know a bus was going to a meeting for You could hear the singing on board the bus before <laughs> the bus came. Yeah. And you jumped on board, joined the singers. Yeah. And there was a choir in every bus. Wow. Wow. Going to a meeting. And uh, coming home from the meeting, it would probably be two, three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. Wow. And going to work after that, no tiredness, no sleepiness. <laughs> it, was, it was just as if you had a full night's sleep. Wow. Oh, the great, great tune was about to break in there. Um, isn't that amazing, right? How how did you know where the revival was kicking off? Choir on every bus. Choir on every bus. I believe this is what the culture is yearning for right now. There's so much despair. There is an absence of hope. If there is an outbreak of joy, I can guarantee you there'll be a magnetic effect. That people are like, why is there singing at a time of mourning? Why is there dancing when the rest of us are freaking out about our future? Why are those guys laughing and drinking when we feel like we're caught up in famine? And the answer is because salvation's come. And salvation is coming. Sing, barren woman. Sing, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy. Why? Because there's a tidal wave of salvation coming. So get ready. Enlarge your tent. Strengthen your stakes. Just get ready. Because I believe the spirit's moving. The sound is stirring. Um, and we're in for a huge party.